Our Old Testament reading this morning is taken from the book of Leviticus and reading from chapter 19, the first 10 verses. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect your mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths, for I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next. Anything left over until the third day must be burned up. If any is eaten on the third day, it is impure and will not be accepted. Whoever eats it will be held responsible because they have desecrated what is holy to the Lord. They must be cut off from their people. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. And over into Galatians, in Galatians chapter 6, and reading from the first verse through to verse 17. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever, whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will receive eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing God and doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use that I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Thanks, Ellen. Good morning, everyone. It feels exceptionally bright up here today. Hey, um, have you got a hero? Who's your hero? Oh, good on you. Straight to the chase. Somebody just called out Jesus. <laughs> I had heroes for years before I met Jesus. A um, bunch of people you probably wouldn't know the names of. But um, after meeting Jesus, there was a whole bunch of new heroes in my life. Um, you might see up on screen there a couple of my heroes, Eric Liddell, C.H. Spurgeon. Even uh, on the left there, that's the Apostle Paul, who wrote our letter to the Galatians that we're reading together. Everyone's got a hero. I wonder who yours is. It's a funny thing to think that our heroes have heroes, isn't it? But they do. And what I love is a little meme that came out a few years ago where all the superheroes got together, um, the Marvel canon and the DC canon, and um, they came together on top of a girder well above the city, and uh, they were together with their hero, the Lord Jesus. There he is, schooling all the superheroes, and what he's saying there is, and that's how I saved the world. I really like that meme. And I really, really liked it, so I put together a comic book for you. I've been working on this for a little while with Jordan and the team. Uh, you may have seen on your weekly update, we've um, had a superhero representing a heresy each week. But some of us don't get the email, and um, I really wanted to make sure everyone got a, got a look at this. So you'll see that, that you've got, for example, Thor, and he represents the heresy of Arianism. And you've got Superman, he's the heresy of Docetism. Anyway, you've got a copy of that. If you haven't got one already, take one on the way out, have a read. I hope you'll be encouraged. The idea of heresy is literally the word for sect. And it's how Paul describes his former way of life as a Pharisee uh, seeking to live according to and beyond the law of God. And the word heresy comes from the word heresis. We actually find in our Bibles, in this letter to the Galatians. In fact, last week in chapter 5, verse 21, we found that word. Uh, it appears across uh, the whole of Scripture. Um, for those who are interested, it's in Acts 1 Corinthians 11, 2 Peter 2. But it's given way in its meaning to mean a bad idea, a wrong idea, uh, an unorthodox opinion. And people have had wrong ideas about Jesus throughout history. Uh, these are some of the heresies from the early days. Um, Paul, of course, was engaging his letter to the Galatians because some Judaizers had come on in and they had some heresies going on. They had wrong ideas about Jesus and what it means to be saved. And just as our comic book has historically bad ideas, um, and I have to say I did base this book on somebody else's this booklet on somebody else's book, which is given a credit in here. So if you have a chance to read Todd Miles, Superheroes Can't Save You, let me encourage you to do that because that's uh, kind of what I platformed off. Um, where do we go for a right idea about Jesus? Oh, the Bible, thank you. Very wonderfully, these days, <laughs> we've got the Bible. It's kind of the, the closed canon, the, the, the right understanding of Jesus comes from God's word to us in the Bible. Uh, so we're going to embrace the Bible today, and um, the big idea, of course, for the series is the one gospel of the Lord Jesus for freedom forever, and um, I'm just going to, again, point us to that reference that we had from Galatians 5, uh, verse 1. I've sewn in verses 13 and 18 here, just to kind of get us calibrated again. Paul's essentially saying it's for liberty, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And he goes on to say, don't give license to the flesh, but serve one another in love and live by the spirit. If so, you're not under the law. You won't be burdened by the law because you'll be doing what the Lord Jesus did in the power of his spirit. Because that's who we are. We are his people, empowered and enabled by his spirit. And as we come to his word now, I'm going to ask that same spirit to teach us. Would you join me in prayer? Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And indeed, as we uh, read from Leviticus 19, the Lord Jesus fulfilled your law because he is holy as you are holy, the Son of God. And the command for your people is to be holy as you are holy. And we know this is impossible in our own strength, but only by grace through faith. And the fact that we are a new multi-ethnic family transformed by your spirit according to the wonderful gospel of a crucified Messiah. So how we pray that your spirit would be pleased to teach us now as we consider what it means to fulfill the law, so do the spirit and carry our cross. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So three ideas out of uh, our final text in Galatians today. And the first one is verses 1 to 6 of chapter 6. And this big idea is fulfill the law. You remember all the way back in the beginning in Genesis, there was this very awful event. The children of the very first people, Cain and Abel, got into a, a situation such that Cain killed his brother Abel. And then when the Lord God came to Cain and said, what's happened to Abel? Cain says to God, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer to that question, of course, for those who are in the family of God, those who seek to fulfill the law of love as it has been fulfilled by the Son of God, Jesus, is, yes, I am. I am my brother's keeper. I am my sister's keeper. And here we see an expression of what that love to fulfill the law looks like, particularly when somebody's come off the rails. Now, since I've been here at Fig Tree, I can't get it out of my head that Shane's come up with an illustration, I think it's a really helpful one, where sometimes we slip up and sometimes we get stuck in sin. And it's the difference between the whoopsie and the poopsie. And here, in this passage, we're looking at somebody who has had a whoopsie, not a poopsie. Like something's gone into the mind and informed the attitude and led to an affection that's led to an action, which is a, a slip-up, rather than somebody who has got again and again and again into that pattern of sin. There's other parts of the scripture we can go to to look at that issue. But here Paul's saying, you're walking along and you've tripped and fallen. Or you're running and you've tripped. Or you're cycling along and you've come off your... You know like sometimes how you look over your shoulder when you're moving and you kind of veer and you go off the path. We've, we're looking at somebody who's gone off the path, they've tripped over. And, and in relation to chapter 5 verse 21, some ideas got into their mind and has led them astray in terms of thought, word, and deed. And when you lose your balance, when you drop your guard and a punch comes in and you get winded, you basically you're going, whoops. And it's so good to have somebody to help us up, isn't it? And this is where, verse 1, Paul says, restore someone gently. Brothers and sisters, somebody's caught in a sin. 
You who live by the Spirit, restore that person with gentleness. But also watch that you don't get dragged down with them. So restoration is the word that's being used here. It's the word that's used elsewhere in the Bible when the disciples were mending their nets. Their nets are torn. The nets are then woven back together again so they become useful. Outside the Bible, historically, this word is used for a more significant thing. You can see that picture there. That's a dislocated shoulder. Does anybody dislocate their body parts here? Okay, so I, I very sadly some years ago accidentally dislocated somebody's arm when I was wrestling with them. And thank God it just kind of popped back in again. But I, by the look on his face and the noise he made, it really hurt. <laughs> and then it went back in and he was okay. <laughs> that was a quick change. But this is what the word means. It's essentially like putting the body part, it really hurts to put the body part back in again, but then it saves him from harm. And so sometimes for the, for the body, for the, for the well-being of a person, for the body of Christ as well, to endure a little hurt, to get somebody up and back on their feet again, uh, protects from harm so that we don't end up with a useless broken net or we don't end up with a limp limb that's got no functionality. And the way that we do this, says Paul, verse 2, is to carry each other's burdens. By carrying each other's burdens, you fulfill the law of Christ. So you, let's just imagine you, you trip up, you hold out your hand, and somebody walking by the Spirit comes along, and to fulfill the Lord's law of love, they put out their hand and they help you up again. Or if, um, if, if you've tripped and somebody walks by, they just keep walking. Or maybe they just look and go, and tut, look at you. I wouldn't have done that. Or, or perhaps they kind of mock <laughs> that little involuntary, voluntary laugh. Because that's what happened with the Good Samaritan, isn't it? That's what the Lord Jesus gave us as an example. There's people walking by, somebody who is in real need of love and care and concern as a neighbor in Luke chapter 10. For the Lord's people, filled with the Spirit of the Lord, our response is to be aligned with the Lord Jesus, loving neighbor, as spoken about by Jesus in Mark 12, as lived out by Jesus in Luke 7, as commanded by Jesus in John 14, and as confirmed by Paul in verse 14 of chapter 5, as we saw last week, because the Lord Jesus carried our burdens to the cross. Why would we not stop to help somebody up now who's had a whoopsie? He goes on to say, if anyone thinks they're something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Everyone should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each should carry their own load. You know, if I see somebody who's tripped up, it's there but for the grace of God go I, isn't it? That I haven't tripped. And gee, I'm really thankful when somebody helps me up when I trip but he makes a point of distinction here in verse 5 to describe on the one hand, verse 2, the burdens that are carried with one another and the load that we shoulder alone. Different words from Paul here. Because whilst we all have burdens and slip-ups and, and whoopsies to attend to, and we can carry those burdens with one another, and so not look down our noses with pride or not look up with despair, but know that we all need a saviour and all need someone to walk with, there are some times in life when we simply need to take responsibility for the load he's given us. 
the load that others cannot bear for us, the responsibilities and the duty that we have in Christ. So last year in October, we looked at our commitment series, what it means to be committed as Christ. And we thought about those things that God has given us individually for the benefit of the body, like our time and our treasures and our testimony and our talents and how there will come a day when we will go to face the Lord Jesus and he'll say, well, how did you go with what I entrusted to you? And we'll either have that moment where we're kind of kicking our toes and going, well, not a lot really. Or by your grace, they've been well deployed. And yeah, each of us will be by God's grace in heaven and then in the new creation because of what Jesus has done. But there will be a reward for those who've looked after their load well. And then Paul goes on from these verses to talk about sharing all good things with our teachers. And for a little while, this had me scratching my head. I'm like, what's this there for? Is this just this like extra little bit of wisdom? But as I thought about it over the week gone by, it seems to me that this is quite a helpful connecting point through to the next section in chapter uh, 6, verses 7 to 10. Because what Paul says here, if we can go back one step, is that uh, the one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their teacher. Now, remember for the Galatians, these folks were for the most part Gentiles. And Paul had shared the gospel of a Jewish saviour who'd fulfilled a Jewish law, and he brought this beautiful burden of his gospel to the Gentiles, and he's saying, who's going to pay it back to the Jews? Indeed, these Gentiles are used to taking their sacrifices to idolatrous small g gods and putting their sacrifice to the God and then hoping that the God's going to respond to this sacrifice. But, but what Paul comes from is a culture within which the very Word of God has been entrusted and you have people who were teachers of the Word of God. So this would be an unfamiliar thing for the Galatians. And I think in essence, Paul's just saying, uh, remember that this work, this gospel um, teaching needs to be supported so that I can fulfill my calling and others can do likewise. It's not wages for work that we're familiar with. You work your day, you get paid for your time, but rather it's the setting apart of somebody who's been called to ministry of the gospel and making sure that they have enough to comfortably live on to keep doing that. The blessing of setting free Bible teacher and preacher for God's call. And I, as I reflected on this, wanted to say thank you very much. <laughs> thank you for supporting the work of your ministry team here at Victory. It's a very great privilege to be able to follow the call of the Lord and be set apart to do this work. And I don't receive a wage for it. I get a, an allowance, a stipend. It's a, it's a different thing. So thank you. And thank you for your generosity in so many ways. We have a lovely house to live in, but then also we get the benefit of living in some of your... Um, extra homes and borrow cars and enjoy all sorts of benefits in being part of the family here and we're very thankful for that. And can I say that the money that we together put in the system, because I put in the system as well, ensures that our ministry team are set apart to be able to do the very important work of sustaining us in gospel teaching and gospel preaching and being able to do these wonderful things like our evangelism mission and keep us all tooled up for this. Because when you're sowing into these things, 
you're not just sowing into stuff that lasts a lifetime. You're sowing into eternity. And this is good because we're sowing to the Spirit. I mean, I don't know about you, but every time I walk into a mall, there's somebody asking me for money. There's this charity and that charity. And in many ways, if you stand there and have a chat with somebody, you go, this is a really good thing to invest in, right? But as the Lord's people, we're the only ones who are investing into things that will endure for eternity. And so can I encourage you to keep thinking into where you're stewarding the money, the time, the uh, talents and testimony that you have in terms of impacting eternity. If you like, sowing to the spirit and not sowing to the flesh. Because sowing to the flesh is just for this life only. And there's two levels to this, isn't it? Because when we read these verses in 8 to 9, and this is an agricultural metaphor, so picture the land with the sowing of seeds and how the growth will go. Uh, First and foremost, Paul says, God will not be mocked. He will not be deceived. So he knows the state of our hearts in this matter. But Paul goes on to say, a man reaps what he sows. So whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. If we get preoccupied with the earthly investment, the liberties of the flesh, doing those things he listed in chapter 5 that are vices, then that's really a squandering of time, and it's not being holy as God is holy. But if we keep in step to the Spirit and sow to the Spirit, we will find ourselves over time, won't we, increasingly concerned about those matters of spiritual and eternal consequence. And those who sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit, will reap eternal life. Our salvation is secure, but we can invest in such a way that will impact the eternal security of others, right? So it's good for us to get behind those charities and those investments that will see people learn about the love of the Lord Jesus. And thinking about that sowing motif, some years ago I heard this little thing and it stuck with me and I share it with you, that when you sow a thought, you reap an action. When you sow an action, you reap a habit. And when you sow a habit, you reap a character. And so I ask you, what sort of character would we want to have? A character of the flesh and all that investment, or a character of the spirit and all that investment. And how this rubber hits the road is really, um, as a dear sister in the Lord said before she went to be with Jesus, uh, are we genuinely making every cent and every second count for Jesus? Every second and every cent for Jesus. Like you, it's really easy when I get home and I'm tired to just go onto the streaming service and go, what are we going to watch next? And as I was thinking about some of my heroes, I was thinking, when was the last time I read a Christian biography from cover to cover? I mean, is that a good investment to to swap the box for a book and maybe be encouraged by somebody's journey with the Lord? In love, the Lord wants us to lay down our lives for him in service of others and in love for others. How might we refresh ourselves in sowing to the Spirit in this week, in this month, in this year ahead? And let us not, he says, for the harvest, weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those in the family of believers. This is the manner of life together. We do not fatigue. We do not wane in our resolve. We sow and we see the fruits of our labors. And sometimes we may not see the fruit of our labors in this lifetime. I'm sure that there are people that you have been praying for for many, many years, right? 
There's people whose lives you've been investing to for many, many years, and you've not seen anything, by the way, of spiritual development or maturation. But the lovely thing that will come is when we go to be with Lord Jesus and the new creation has come, we will see so many faces of so many people we didn't expect to be there. And the stories we shall share about how his grace through us has made us links in the chain will be remarkable. And we do it because the Lord Jesus did not give up. Because he went on to the end, even to the cross. And this is my third and final point, the carrying of the cross. It's quite sweet here. Paul writes, and you almost feel like he's kind of a kid with a crayon. He goes, oh, look at these big letters that I'm writing. You can see that it's actually me. I'm here and I'm writing to you. I think he's doing it as an expression of love. He's like, here I am. And then he talks about what it means to be a hero. And again, as I read this section in verses 11 to 17, I was very quickly starting to think, well, what does this mean for us? And of course I went, oh, you've done it again, Robin. You've become Narcissus. Do you remember we talked about Narcissus? It's the fellow who got preoccupied with his own reflection in the water so much he fell in love with himself and died there. We looked at him a few weeks ago. And I was sharing how um, a, a friend of mine had written that we very often go to the text and go, what does it mean for us? And forget about the historical context. So I want us to take a little step back, not be narcissists, but rather think about what Paul's blessing of peace and mercy would have meant for his audience back then. What it means to be a hero there. Have a look with me. In this section, Paul, I think once again, is dealing with the Judaizers who've come to the Galatians and have said, I want to impose circumcision on you as a convert... And Paul says, and he introduces here a rule, and whenever there's a rule, you want to ask, what is it, and what's it there for, who's it there for? He says, he says this, he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but what counts is the new creation. You remember, neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, one in Christ Jesus. What counts is the new creation. And he says, peace and mercy to all who follow this re- rule and to the Israel of God. I believe as those who are completed as Jews who've met and understood who Messiah is in the person of Yeshua, the person of Jesus. He goes, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What is this new rule? And who is it for? Well, the rule is that these people understand that it's not about circumcision or uncircumcision. It's about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. His gospel has been about the gospel of the crucified Messiah who unites Jew and Gentile by grace through faith. And not getting preoccupied for the Jew with the old signs of what it means to be a member of God's family or to try and impose that on the Gentile. It wouldn't have meant anything to the Gentile because they didn't have circumcision. So who's he talking about here? And I think it can only relate to those people for whom somehow circumcision would have given them confidence in salvation. I think he's saying, when people who come to you say, get circumcised, don't trust them. But when people who come talk to you in a way that is consistent with my gospel, trust them. For peace and mercy come with them. They're the heroes who refute heresy In fact, he goes on to have a very harsh word about these Judeos is to basically say, the only reason they're asking this of you is because they're scared of being persecuted for the cross of Christ. 
They want to be in with the in crowd and not to walk that way. And he says, I've been persecuted. Look at me, the evidence is in my body. He says, when somebody comes to you with the gospel of by grace through faith, welcome them. Do not welcome these Judaizers because they're leading you astray. For I boast in the cross of Jesus Christ alone. Who are the Galatians or indeed believers today receive? Those who preach the undiluted, pure gospel with which Paul has been entrusted by the Lord Jesus himself. He says, verse 14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, because any addition is slavery. Don't listen to the false teachers. Don't listen to the false brothers. Rather, seek out the one gospel of the crucified Jesus Messiah by which God establishes his multi-ethnic family and transforms it by the power of his spirit who is at work in us today. And so finally, I want us to think about what it means to move from being heretics to heroes. Because every day that we engage with the word of God, a little bit of heresy is taken out of our minds and our being, and a little more heroism is introduced into our lives. And um, we love our heroes, we love our superheroes, but the reality is that each and every one of us every day is a hero. I mean, I look around this room and I know that you are a hero for somebody else. And the reason you're a hero for somebody else is because you're keeping in step with your hero, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mike got ahead of me there. But that's who the real hero is. And the more we reflect him, the better. And because we know Jesus and his spirit is in us and his word shapes our hearts, we look a little bit more like him every day. And I have to say, as a man who came to meet the Lord Jesus... Midway through life, my worst day with Jesus today is better than my very best day without him. I can think back to the best days imaginable, but they are nothing as compared with knowing my Savior and Lord. And so I share these words of heroes because my hope is that they will inspire us to find ways in which to love our neighbors a little more. And brothers and sisters, you can just take one thing with you today to go, how am I going to love my neighbor a little more? How am I going to be available to somebody a little more to carry their burdens? We can run the race together. Eric Liddell, why is Liddell a hero? Well, he's a hero because he ran by the rule of peace and mercy by grace through faith. You may know a few things about Eric Liddell. Let me share a couple of them with you. Um, you may know that he, he didn't run on the Sabbath to honor God, and in not running for the qualifier, he missed out on his very best race, the 100 meters, at the 1924 Olympics. He never got to run. Probably would have won it. But then he did get to run the 800 meters at the 1924 Olympics and didn't expect to win it, and he won it. <laughs> Isn't God good? Something else about Eric Liddell, um, he became a missionary in China. His parents were missionaries in China. He felt his vocation was to be a missionary in China. In 1924, after that Olympic run, he was there uh, right the way through until 1943. Anybody seen Chariots of Fire? It's a really good depiction of him. Do you remember how they made him look like when he ran? just had his arms everywhere. He was a really ungainly runner. But the lovely thing about him is he said this. He said, God made me for mission, but he also made me fast. 
And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Now, I found out something about Eric Liddell just this week that I didn't know. Because he'd been a hero to me for a bunch of reasons, but I found out that um, more than this, Liddell was in a POW camp in China uh, when the Japanese invasion happened. And he was there and had the opportunity to leave. But he refused. Do you know why? He gave his place to a pregnant woman and she was released instead. And he, in fact, ended up dying there. He made the ultimate sacrifice for that lady, just as his Lord made the ultimate sacrifice for him. He's a hero for Jesus, isn't he? Or what about running the race with Charles Haddon Spurgeon? He's a hero in my mind because he ran this rule in peace and mercy by grace through faith. He was a preacher and a prayer. Uh, he was an author. He was over at the uh, London Metropolitan Tabernacle in uh, 1834 through 1892. He was a prayer warrior. He, um, sadly, in 92, after 24 years of ill health, died and went to be with the Lord Jesus. But it's recorded that on the last three months of his deathbed, he wrote 180 pages of commentary. You might have read something by Spurgeon. If you're familiar with Morning and Evening, you would have read some of his amazing, beautiful devotionals. Actually, these are his last words. He said, I quote, I can hear them coming. It's reported that he then sat bolt upright in bed and said, and I quote, don't you hear them? This is my coronation day. Look, I see the chariots. I am ready to board. He's a hero for Jesus too, I think. How will you be a hero for Jesus? You know, we just heard from some of our mission team, our 25 folks who are going to Fiji, I reckon they're our local heroes. It's a really bold thing to do, isn't it? It's a really profound thing to do. I think of young Rachel Jones, who's um, finishing up with us this week. You might know Rachel, she's in the evening congregation, going off on an adventure to the United Kingdom. Pray for her as she leaves us and moves on, uh, walking with the Lord Jesus and seeking to commend him in an unfamiliar place. Think of young Pip Lenahan. She's just uh, pushed out a baby this week. Owen Lenahan has arrived in the world, praise God. Arrived to Pete and Pip and Toby. That's pretty heroic, isn't it? And there are others going through tough stuff at the moment. Dear sister Wendy was here this morning with her husband Tony, just lost her precious daughter Lindsay, um, seeking to honour the Lord with a memorial to which we're invited on uh, Friday the 7th of July here at Fig Tree Anglican Church. Hugely tough journey to go through. But there are opportunities for us to be heroes for the Lord Jesus, trusting by grace through faith, day by day. What will you do this week to be a hero for Jesus? I'm going to read the final words of, um, well, they're not his final words. I've already shared those with you. Some words, finally, for this from Spurgeon, because I found them quite a stimulating read this week. As long as there is breath in our bodies, writes Spurgeon, let us serve Christ. As long as we can think, as long as we can speak, as long as we can work, let us serve him. Let us serve him with our last gasp. 
And if it were possible, let us try to set some work going that will glorify him when we are dead and gone. Let us scatter some seed that may spring up when we are sleeping beneath the hillock in the cemetery. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for those who are heroes to us, for those who are heroes because they honor the greatest hero of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, and the one who will return again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to fulfill the law in this lifetime by carrying one another's burdens. And indeed, Lord God, we thank you for the privilege of bearing our own load. May you, by your grace, enable us to sow to the Spirit so that we would continue to enable the sort of heroism that would refute heresy according to your word and commend Christ and live in joyful obedience to your word. And Father God, finally, we would ask, please, that you would help us to carry our cross, knowing that the Lord Jesus has paid it all for us, to find ways to sacrificially love one another and members of our community so that they would see the great hero portrayed in our lives for your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.